0: You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do 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 you love her? 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 Do you love it? 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 Do you love her? One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love it? 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 Do you love her? Brown skin, love a brown skin, love for brown skin. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Yeah. Welcome to the my no way Joe Blazer Podcast. It's your host, Greg Eel, the Culture Change Agent. It's episode 95. We five episodes away for hundred. I'm starting to think about what special am I gonna do for a hundred? I don't know. Hopefully y'all can shoot me some ideas, but. First and foremost, I want to say a special shout out to all my people in the 30 day challenge. We out here getting in, making our goals become a reality. Whether that be losing weight, launching websites, uh, getting AFL clients. Like we have a variety of different people with a variety of different goals, and we are getting it up. So, shout out to everybody that signed up for the 30 day challenge. Also, get ready, get ready, get ready. Sometime in November, we're here launching Trailblazers University. More information will be coming. I'm excited about it. It's going to be a platform that's really going to change a lot of lives. It's going to bring the community into this whole Trailblazer Nation feel, adding a lot of resources in regards to financing, real estate, uh, motivation, speaking, podcast, writing—you name it, we got it. Not just deliver for myself, deliver for minority trading change agents all across the country. Slash. World, so I'm pumped up about that project. So be on the lookout for that. Also, 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 if you've been listening to this podcast faithfully, make sure you leave a review, share it with a friend, leave comments. We will be having an Instagram back up and active pretty soon. And feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, any by any means, man. Show the love for the episodes. Ask questions. Connect with our guests. Connect with myself. And let's continue to push the culture forward. That's all I really got for today. I don't have no products. I don't got no books to sell. I don't got nothing to push. I'm just excited to be back on the podcast, back on the show. And please keep our North Carolina family and our Florida family in prayers as we are getting hit by another. Yes, I said it, another hurricane. So hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's Thursday. Yep. I didn't make it till Friday. Be getting it on, on time Thursday. Enjoy the show and continue to change the culture. On this show, we interviewed young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation leaders. And as always, I got a show for you today. I'm gonna try to be brief with this bio, but she has worked at so many places and worked with so many people that it's gonna be hard for me to get brief. So bear with me. So she began a career in fashion when she left her native Minneapolis to join Women's Wear Daily as an intern in New York. She quickly moved on to Victoria's Secret's headquarters, where she assisted on the legendary 2008 and 2009 fashion shows that starred the iconic Victoria's Secret Angels. Using her natural gift for editorial storytelling, She then joined Essence Magazine as a fashion slash beauty editorial assistant. This experience led to a stint at the HL Group, managing prestige fragrances and skincare accounts. Next came a return to the print world as the associate beauty and grooming editor at Ebony Magazine. She then dived into the world of e-commerce, serving as a senior women's editor at Guilt. Responsible for creating compelling content for top luxury fashion and beauty brands, including DVF, Kate Spade New York, Louis Vuitton, and Chanel. Most recently, she was the BT Digital Beauties editor, overseeing news coverage and creating original content for the New Style vertical. Additionally. She wrote original beauty pieces for notable digital publications, including The the Cover Tour, Caster, Allure, Self, Teen Vogue, Man Repeller, and many, many others. And now she is currently braced in Brooklyn, New York, and she currently works as a full-time beauty and wellness writer in branding consultant i know that was a, a mouthful she's worked oh. with a lot of great companies and i'm just excited to kind of get her experiences and kind of share what she's working on now and and everything else So it's gonna be a great show so without further ado i would like to introduce janelle hickman to the minority trouble Lisa podcast welcome to the show
1: thanks greg i'm excited
0: now i'm excited too i had no choice but to be excited through that bio like i'm really <laughs> at that pump me up i'm excited so uh before we begin i always start the show off with some energy with it with, with something so oh, that's my guess is there a quote or a mantra that you live by and could you give our audience a story about how you apply that quote or mantra to your everyday life
1: yes so recently i was with a group of girlfriends um there was a women's women in color, like beauty expo called project beauty expo. Um, and we were just like chatting about work and just freelance and getting situated and just getting ready for like the new season. And I told one of my friends don't prescribe to the panic. Mm. And she's like, oh my gosh, that's such a good quote. It's something I need to live by. And I think When you say that, it just means like everyone is so anxious and they think everything is so much more important than what you're doing and that they're the top priority. So I always remind myself, like, if I don't start panicking, I can get things done. So just because you're panicking or just because you're freaking out or you're stressed, I don't need to internalize that because I'm not going to be able to work my best or do all the things I need to do. So definitely don't prescribe to the panic. I know it's a culture of, especially in corporate America, like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have a job tomorrow or like this person's going to take my role. But I think the more we just don't engage in that, you can focus on like yourself, your goals, doing the best at your job and kind of pushing forward.
0: Hmm, That's that's a profound, profound quote. I love that. So with that being said, though, was there a particular situation that happened over the last six months or 12 or a year or so where you said, Hold up, when things could have got awry. You're like, yep, I'm not even gonna get that type of energy, and it kind of worked in your favor.
1: Yes, actually, last week. So the one thing about freelance is it's very ebb and flow. And I've been very blessed this summer to definitely have a really fun summer of traveling and enjoying myself, but also getting really great projects. But my, I don't want to say like my personality or my energy. Sometimes I get competitive, and sometimes I start to get like very nervous. So I start to kind of overcommit myself. So last week, like maybe Wednesday, I kind of looked up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so many stories to do. it's just me. Mm-hmm. How am I gonna get this all done? Why did I get myself in this situation? It's way too late to turn back. And I called my dad and was like almost crying. I was like, you know, I feel like I've been doing well, but if I just had a full-time job, I wouldn't have to worry about stuff like this. You know, I could just go to work, leave at five, get my benefits, continue on with my life. And he's like, listen, just take it one step at a time. He's like, you don't really, he's like, don't freak out. He's like, you know, you went on a vacation. He's like, you took much needed time off. He's like, you didn't want to work while you are with like your other family members. So instead of freaking out, just think about it. Like now your time is your own. So if you have to stay up until two o'clock in the morning tonight, you can also sleep in until two o'clock tomorrow afternoon. You know, like there's no rules. So once I kind of, Pushed myself out of the overwhelm part of the day. I was mm-hmm. just like, okay, hey, like I can break it down, create a to do list, prioritize what's going on, and then worst case scenario, actually reach out to people and just like, hey, can I have a little bit of extra time on this?
0: Mm, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, it's it's crazy that I I think growing up, when people tell say follow your dreams and do what you're excited about, do what you're being your gift. I think sometimes. I don't think they, I think they forget to tell you that there's a cost to that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and there's a cost that it's not like, it's like student loans where it may be pushed out. You can kind of keep extended 10, 20 years. No, a lot of times that cost comes like immediately. Damn. And especially when you're doing yourself full-time working with yourself. I mean, of course you you, know, you can wake up and you're doing what you love or you're gifted at fashion, beauty, et cetera. But then what people don't realize is like, especially once you, you, you get a like, after, not right after, uh, college but i mean you got healthcare stuff like if you want to see the doctor now okay it's just a lot of other things that we don't really think about that can really be a lot of mental stresses and really can kind of it can it can it it can hurt the the work that we put out or the work that we're trying to do in in mental space because a lot of times when we do this stuff and we're in our passion and stuff like that we still want to be in our top-notch mental space to deliver the best product that we can Mm -hmm. and um i think that's really important but before we jump into kind of what you do full time now, I want to go all the way back because I, I mean, I just jumped from Minnesota, Minneapolis to New York, which are way different, right? Like me that first time I went to Minnesota, yo, I was like, it was snowing so crazy. I could not get around it. Like anytime it, it was, it was a great experience. Got to see the mall of America. It was cool. But it was very cold, and I said, man, I will never come to Minnesota again. I love Minnesota, but I said, I can't come here again. And I had to go back early this year to go speak at a college, and it was snowing again. So kind of take us back before before college, before BT, Gil, before full-time um, consulting and all that stuff. Take us back to yep. who you are and where you're from.
1: Um. So one thing about the weather. I always joke because in New York, when it snows, people freak out. They're so – like work stops the trains not running and when i remind people in minnesota like it just snows it never melts so once (laughs) it starts snowing in like october november it just continues to pile on and it's still below zero so it's just there so your winter is forever there so that's the one thing i'm happy that i escaped um So many Minnesota is interesting because my parents ended up because my dad there, because my dad was in education. He's from Illinois Mm -hmm. and my mom is from Antigua um, and she was a flight attendant. So she kind of bounced around to different airlines. And at that time, Northwest, which then became part of Delta, was based there. So everyone's like, how on earth did your parents meet in Minnesota? That's so random. (laughs) Um, So the great thing about my mom being a flight attendant is I got to experience a lot of things and go to a lot of places. So sometimes I'd have like a really fun time and I'd go on her flights with her, like sit in business class or first class. And then like we'd hang out in whatever city for a few days. I know she did that with me. I think we went to London that way. Um, She took me and my cousin to Thailand for like spring break. So that was really fun. Um, But the one place I loved going with her the most was New York. So with Mm a flight attendant schedule, the way it works is you get to pick your base and that's where your flight starts or like your work day starts technically. So she'd take a flight from Minnesota, go to New York, and then that's when she'd like start work. Um, So I remember coming to New York with her a little before Labor Day to go back to school shopping. And I was watching like public access television. She had a shared apartment in Queens with like some other freelancers or sorry, not freelancers, flight attendants. And I just remember seeing a segment about New York fashion week Mm -hmm. and they're going backstage with the show is kind of showing all the models walking down the runway. And I'm like, I don't know how I can be part of this, but like, this is what I want to be. So when I was younger, I really wanted to be a model, and I remember one of my my second or third or fourth grade teachers. We kind of had like a presentation about what your career was going to be, and you to tell the class and what you wanted to do. And then they had a conference, not a conference, but kind of like a one on one with you after to just kind of talk about. It was very like advanced, kind of talk about like your goals and how can we get there. Like, oh, how wow we-
0: in elementary school? Like,
1: yeah, like it was Did very. Did you go
0: to private school? Was this
1: <laughs> public school? It was very savvy. So basically. Okay. I told my teacher, I was like, you know, I really want to be a model. And she's like, well, I don't want to discourage you. She's like, I think that's a really good goal. And she's like, but what about other things? Like, you know, you can also work in the industry being like an editor or, you know, a stylist or a photographer. And I was like, ooh, I was like, I like a fashion editor. Like, that's cool. Like, I like reading all these magazines. I like looking at the pictures, reading the stories. So that kind of imprinted, like, I'm going to work at a fashion magazine and Ever since I was young, I'm very happy that I had, like, a very clear focus. There was never, like, I think I want to be a veterinarian or I want to be, like, anytime my family or friends would ask me what I wanted to be, I was like, I want to be a fashion editor. Um, so in school, Hampton required you to get a internship. So I went to Hampton University in Virginia, which I love, and I'll be back for my 10-year anniversary um, this October.
0: Shout out. The real HU? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So we had to, in order to graduate, you had to have an internship requirement. And I don't know if I was like slacking or I don't know if I was just like having bad luck. I could not get a good internship one year. Like it was just a struggle. Like no one was accepting my application. I was really stressed out. One summer, most of my friends were like in New York having fun. And I ended up having to like go back to Minneapolis. But I got a internship at the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder, mm-hmm. which is a very small newspaper. I'm not even sure if it's around anymore. And I got to shadow like one of their senior editors. So, you know, I'd be like filing newspapers, not necessarily getting coffee, but doing like very menial tasks. But he was also very gracious. So he's like, what's the one thing you want to do? And I'm like, I wanna write. I don't care what it is. I just need clips to build my portfolio. So he's like, okay, you can do like local business profiles on people. So I think I wrote one of my pieces was about someone who is raising like chickens in the city, but they had like a really big like egg business. Mm -hmm. Um and then I got to write a fashion article about this man named Ini Ayamba and he owned a really cool boutique called Ivy in Minnesota and I did a profile on him and I felt like that was like my Pulitzer Prize winning piece. Like (laughs) I was so proud of that piece. I was like, I'm definitely gonna get a good internship next summer. Mm -hmm. Um so I worked on the school newspaper. I kind of like grinded it out. I went to New York because I had family members staying there. So I started interviewing maybe in like April, like mm. maybe March or April.
0: And this and is your senior year?
1: This is my senior year. Okay. Um, And I interviewed at a ton of places. So Jane Magazine was one of them, which folded recently. I think I interviewed at W Magazine, maybe Teen Vogue. And then but it just didn't seem like a good fit. Like it just felt very scary, very devil's product. And I was like, I don't know about these and I don't know if I have enough experience to do it. So one of the internship opportunities I had was WWD. So me being from Minnesota, I didn't realize how pivotal and such a big deal that newspaper was because it was a trade publication. So it would say like, you know, new collections, like who's moving where, um, trades sort or of information. It's like, if you worked in fashion, you read WWD every single morning. Ah. So I got, I got a call back from them and I had like an appointment maybe at like nine o'clock in the morning. So of course I get there at like eight thirty, but the way some of those old school media companies are structured, it's not like very like friendly and warm. It's kind of cold. So there's not like a really nice lounge to sit in. (laughs) Uh So you're kind of just like standing awkwardly in the lobby. So I'm standing awkwardly in the lobby forever. And I've told this story so many times. And I was standing there for like an hour, hour and a half. And like, no one came down to get me. Like no one called the front desk. For
0: an hour and a half, you just standing there. You just black in this place. You just.
1: (laughs) Just standing there, like just waiting And all of a sudden, this like panicked assistant, her name was Cameron, was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like Court went home with a bloody nose, like he can't (laughs) he can't meet with you today. Can you come back tomorrow? And I couldn't come back tomorrow because I was supposed to like go back to school. So I was like, you know what, sure, like I can totally come back tomorrow, like no problems. I call my parents, panicking, like this is my last chance to get an internship. Like if I don't take this meeting, I'm not going to have anything. My parents are like, okay, stay, like just miss school. It's fine. So the next day I came and like, Court and I hit it off really well. And he's just like, you have the internship. And I just think like that persistence was very telling of like, just kind of like what being and staying in the industry is. It's like, sometimes you just have to like, make it work and kind of put your ego aside to get your foot in the door. Because it's like, once I had WW. D on my resume, a lot of other things started like falling into place. I made a lot of really good contacts. Um, I got really great experience. There's an editor named Bobby Queen who like took me on set all the time and let me write a piece. I actually got to interview Stacey Dash, which is very random because she had lingerie (laughs) line at the time. Um, so I got like two little print features in WWE. So it was an awesome experience. And that just kind of really made me realize like, okay, this is worth it to me. And this is something I want to pursue.
0: Mm, Man, that's, there's a lot of things that you can, you can take from that, but asking yourself, what is, what do you say was the number one thing prior to actually leaving WWD and getting more experience within the industry? What is the one thing you took away from that whole experience from seeing that, that summer where all your friends were in New York, but you was in Minnesota getting it in and, and with the, with their news department, and then at April, I'm talking about graduation in May, right? April, May. So had yeah, one month <laughs> and this is your last opportunity and getting that opportunity. Like what, what what was your one takeaway from those from those moments?
1: So this was actually junior year going into okay, senior year. Okay, Um, I think the takeaway is like you just have to be patient and it's like you can't always look around and compare yourself to what other people are doing, which is really hard, especially with social media, like extremely hard seems like everyone's living their best life and making a ton of money and always on vacation, but you just have to wait your turn. And I think ultimately like putting in the work is the only value that you have, you know, like you can't necessarily skip steps. Like I had to get an internship in New York in order to get to the other places I wanted. Like I probably could have figured it out if I stayed in Minnesota, but it's like I had to take a chance and I had to be patient and, that manifested in many ways like physically waiting in the lobby like being uncomfortable to you know maybe getting passed up for a promotion or not getting the dream quote unquote dream job that I wanted you just you never know how your story is going to end so I also when people also ask me things like what's your five-year plan or like what will you be doing in 10 years I'm always a little bit hesitant to answer those because things change so wildly and so quickly even the way media is now like no one could have even dreamed of what it would be like and how fast the internet turns things around and even how faster Instagram turns things around and just the jobs that you thought would be there forever Mm -hmm. aren't there. Mm -hmm. And then there's new jobs like social media, like managers and directors that are currently around that weren't even part of our vocabulary, you know, a few years ago. So I think it's just being patient and also being nimble and flexible and just kind of seeing where things take you to like planning, but not getting so obsessive about what exactly it is that you're going to do
0: love Mm. that so now let's let's transition a bit so before we kind of get to what you do today i know you had a lot of experience so when you graduated from hampton what was the next step
1: i graduated from hampton i stayed home for a month and then i moved to new york so i moved to new york without a job (laughs) my parents are like listen like you have three months to figure (laughs) And then you need to come back to Minnetonka.
0: Did you stay um, like with friends or something for the three months or?
1: I stayed with my cousin. So my cousin lived in Staten Island, which I was really lucky. So I got to stay with her. Um, so that was also like a leg up because I didn't have to worry about like rent and like food and all that. Um, so what was my first thing? I had, I think I took like a few internships.
0: And, and, m- and not mind you, for clarification, typically in fashion internships, are they paid or unpaid?
1: Unpaid. This Ooh. is like for like legal things took action. So it's always funny. Like when I meet interns now, like I have my lunch break. Like that's literally required. I was like, I remember being at like WWD until like ten p.m. and like <laughs> probably not eating. And like someone was like, okay, now you guys can go home. You know, like we had to be told to go home. Like you'd never go to your boss and like, oh, I'm sorry, I have a doctor's appointment. They'd be like, what? <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> so yeah. So I took it was unpaid. So I def I quit an internship. I remember that because. They wanted me to get their laundry in like Greenpoint or something. I was like, hell no. Um, then I got a contract temporary gig at KCD. So KCD is a huge fashion agency in New York, um, public relations agency. So basically what they do is they represent brands and they also plan fashion week. So like a designer will come to them, like, you know, I want to have the show. This is the venue I'm thinking of. And they'll handle everything else from like the invite guest list to like the music to like, what does your stage look like? It's like really full service. Mm-hmm. So one of my mentors knew someone who worked there and she recommended me there. So it was like a month long gig. So I was basically helping them stuff envelopes, but this was paid. So I was like thrilled. I was like, at least if I'm going to do something <laughs> like I need to get paid for it. So I was like doing everything from like sending out invitations to dropping off invitations. Cause sometimes they'd be hand delivered to certain editors. What else were you doing? The seating chart. Um, so now it's a little bit less political, but before it was very specific about like, if you were, had a certain title and you were at a certain magazine, you needed to be seated at the perfect spot so you could see the collection, especially if you're viewing it based, but like a blogger when they weren't as big now, it's like, they all have front row would be seated like further in the back. Cause it's like, they didn't quote unquote matter as much, but now things have changed. Um, so that was kind of the gist of that job. Um, From there, I think I interviewed a few more places, but I had a connection to someone at Victoria's Secret. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had an amazing boss and this was like my first woman of color boss. Her name is Nicole Gibbons and she actually just launched a paint line called Claire. So I'm very proud of her. Um, And she was amazing because she was kind, but tough. Um, she gave feedback, which I think a lot of people don't do as much. So if something wasn't right, instead of fixing it, she'd be like, okay, this is what's wrong with this. And I need you to fix this within like X amount of time. So sometimes of course you'd be frustrated, but it's like, she really truly made me have an attention to detail and like a pride in my work, no matter how big or how small it is, because she just reminded me, you know, these reports seem very trivial, but if the EVP of Victoria's Secret happens to read this, And they see a spelling error that reflects poorly on you. Like they're not, you know, they're going to think about all the people that led up to this report. So it's not, it doesn't get placed blame on one person. It's kind of the the group collective. So it's Mm -hmm. like, if you make a mistake, it's like, everyone looks bad. Um, And then from Victoria's Secret, I was there for about a year and a half. Really, really great experience. I was handling VSD, which is Victoria's Secret direct. So they had clothing um, so if editors, like, requested samples for photo shoots, I'd, like, make sure they got that, help with press releases. Um, we I worked with the models a lot. So when they had, like, bra launches, like, I'd go to the store and, like, give them talking points and, like, make sure the news outlets had what they needed. So I got to meet, like, Heidi Klum and, like, Salita Eubanks. Um, who else was there? Doutson was there. Alessandra was there. And, of course, the fashion show, which is absurd it's so well organized it's it's kind of crazy like just ugh, how many people it takes to put on the victoria's secret fashion show is wild and now that it's international i'm sure it's even more um so i stayed there for about a year and a half and then
0: and a quick question some, before you move on from that because uh i think it's something i saw that's very pivotal i know growing up this is something that you, you dreamed of doing like being in new york being involved in fashion And to have you actually work for Victoria's Secret and doing fashion show, like how did that make you feel? And then how how did you stay continue to stay motivated and and, and really encouraged to move forward? Because yo, this is something you dreamed about, right? Victoria's Secret fashion show, boom, man. I don't know, I don't, I don't. I'm not going to age you, but early in your career, now you're working with the models, you're giving them advice, you're in the media. So how to like one? How did that feel to kind of be able to accomplish one of your core dreams earlier in your life? And then two. What was that piece that kept you, like, inspired and motivated to kind of keep going after really hitting one of your major goals?
1: Yeah. Um, I think since I was so young, I didn't think about it that much. Like, mm-hmm. I just kind of thought of, like, everything as a next step. Mm-hmm. But even now, I know, like, sometimes we'll, we'll complain, like, oh, I have to go to fashion week. It's so annoying. But to me, <laughs> it's magical because it's, you know, to see the creativity and the things that go behind it and to just know how it works. It's like it's it can be... I don't know. Like, it's the amount of work that it goes to producing and putting on a show, and like getting everyone organized, is crazy. And to know that that only lasts for maybe eight minutes. The Victoria's Secret show is a little longer, but it's like something lasts for eight to twelve minutes. That it's like people have been putting in work for months.
0: For real, it's like
1: that. Yeah, it's really quick. A fashion show is pretty relatively quick. It's like a few songs, eight
0: minutes, and I'm talking about you have hundreds, maybe thousands of people that put like so much time into it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's, if you design 30 looks, think about how long it would take you to walk down a runway and walk back. And that's just like how long it
0: lasts.
1: Mm. Um, so I think that like knowing all the work that gets put into it, that's still kind of what makes me be like, you know, I can't take this for granted. And also just to realize so many people don't get to see this. Like people don't ever get to be so close to something that they've dreamed of. Um, if that answers your question.
0: not nah, the answer is spot on. So now you had the experience of Victoria's Secret and now you're moving on. So what was next?
1: So next was, so when I joined the workforce, magazines were kind of in like a kind of a weird space like they are now, um, where it's like, it was kind of uncertain. A lot of closings were happening, a lot of consolidations, but I still really wanted to write. So when I was at Victoria's Secret, I was in public relations, but I'm like, I need to be a writer. So I was just trying to hold it out until things settled down. Um, So there happened to be a temp opportunity at Victoria or not Victoria's Secret, sorry, at Essence magazine. But it was very temporary. It was like only supposed to be two weeks long and there was no guarantee that it would pan out to anything. And I just remember talking to my boss about it and she's like, listen, like you have a long term contract with Victoria's Secret and we're working really actively to get you hired full time. So I'm not trying to discourage you. But you also want to think like you're leaving something pretty stable to go into something relatively unstable. And at that time, again, because I was so young, or maybe I was just like a risk taker, I was like, you know, I think it's gonna work out. And she's like, okay, girl. And she's like, <laughs> she's wow. like, if you need to come back, like let us know. But it's like if we hire someone, like I can't guarantee you're gonna have a role here anymore. So I went to Essence and basically the temp project was to Clean out the closet. So to people who don't necessarily have like a close relationship with fashion. So the fashion closet, anything you see in a magazine that, that's shot or that's on a model or that's kind of on the pages laying down is borrowed. So you call it in from a PR company. So like, let's say I represent like Gucci. You would email someone at Gucci and be like, hey, we're working on a story. Sometimes you request a specific look. Sometimes you have like a vague category. So you might be like, you know, we're looking for red sweaters. Do you have anything that can work? Then either Gucci will send a messenger, or you'll send a messenger. It will come to the the fashion closet where you have like assistants and interns who are basically like opening the bags, checking things in, the kind of like writing down all the details, like the condition it came in, where it came from, um, and organizing it accordingly. Because there'll be several shoots going on at the same time, so it's like you might want to put the red sweater on the red rack versus like if we're doing like a glitter story, it's like those glittery items go on another rack because different editors will be calling in different things. Mm-hmm. So at the time, the fashion editor was no longer there. I think they just, they were transitioning out of their fashion assistant or she got fired. So I now had the job of trying to figure out where all these things that I had no relationship with, or like no past experience with, where they went and who they needed to go back to because you don't get to keep anything. So after the shoot's done, it's supposed to get sent back. So imagine like hoarders and there's just like this racks and racks of clothing and like bags and shoes and jewelry and it's just shoved into a closet. Wow. And I had to figure out where things went. So some things are easy because it's like they have labels on them, but just because it has a label on it doesn't mean it goes back to the place So it's like it might be part of an agency like KCD that represents multiple brands, or it may belong directly to the company. So I was like making telephone calls to be like, does this sweater belong to you? And trying to figure out where things go and set, slowly send them back so they can clear out the closet so they can prepare for other shoots. So that's what I was doing for like two weeks, day in, day out, basically by myself and trying to just hope and pray that we didn't receive an invoice because if it didn't go back then the company would then bill you for it and like think about it some of those gowns are thousands of dollars Mm. it's fine jewelry that's priceless essentially so the goal was to make sure that they didn't incur any fees and i had to kind of figure it out
0: wow so so it took you two weeks on the dot to finish it all
1: yeah. I mean, some of that, there are records of some things, but for the most part, like I remember calling Brazil because there's a swimsuit company and they are like, you can keep them. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, it's just, and then at the end of two weeks, then they were like, you know, we really... Feel like you're super organized. We have other projects, so like now you can kind of help maintain the closet. So I was temporary, kind of every two weeks, I'd find out if I was going to stay for another two weeks. The beauty team happened to see that I was super organized, so they wanted me to do the same thing with the beauty closet, except they don't have to send things back, they get to keep them, but just organizing them in a manner. So it's like all the lotions go together, all the face creams go together. Um, and then if there's any comp, so a comp would be something where it's just like a tester, maybe it's a prototype. Those would go back, but those are few and far between.
0: Mm, so now, so mm. this is all in essence. And then you transition, because I know the reason why I'm sticking and I want to drill down this experience, because I mean, I always say all experiences i never as you already showed earlier earlier in your story you never can take them for granted and a lot of times those lead to kind of what you do in the full-time space and i want all my listeners that 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 tune in everyday basis to kind of see the value in where their current experience is at because a lot of people that listen their current experience is not where they want to be like they have ambitions to do all this other stuff but the way you were so meticulous in all these tasks from standing in a lobby for an hour and a half to cleaning out two weeks, just cleaning out a closet. You could have been like, yo, I was just doing helping out people with fashion show, advising models. And now y'all want me cleaning out a closet like I gave up maybe a potential full time opportunity there to clean out closets. You could you could have been half assed with it. So yeah. I'm just trying to kind of continue to show this thing. So what made you leave Essence then?
1: So essence, I had a unique experience with a boss that turned out to be very stressful. But I will say, I don't necessarily like when people are like mean or nasty or difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. But I think it also makes a stronger worker because you focus on your work. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think I
1: quickly realized at a young age, which I really liked, is that people have their own things going on, regardless if it's right or wrong. And my responsibility is only to do my work. My responsibility is not to fix whatever is going on in your life. My responsibility is not to like then get low self-esteem because of this. So there's a lot of situations where it's like, I probably should have quit, but I was like, why should I sacrifice my dreams? Because the person I'm working for is like miserable. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm not going to give up what I'm doing because they can't handle what's going on with them. Um so I ultimately ended up going freelance after that. I just needed to like kind of take a step back and think about, you know, what I wanted everything to look like, but I still think that was a good experience because it made me compartmentalize about feedback, like I was constantly getting feedback from her, but also it made me a better employee because it's like even though it was difficult a lot of people are like, you were a great assistant, They're like, we can't, regardless of what she says, like you were on top of it. It's like, I was handling everything from like expenses to cars, to like writing stories in book, to send to managing the closet, to managing the interns. Like I just did so many things, but you know, having someone who's not the kindest to you isn't great, but also reminding myself that not every boss I have will be a mentor to me. Mm. Um, And I think that's important for us to realize too, like not everyone is going to be this fairy godmother godfather who's constantly giving advice and constantly giving you praise like sometimes people are really tough on you but it just reminds you that again it's about the work
0: wow that's crazy i never i've really never thought about and that's a very interesting take because i could see how when you're focused on your work instead of not to say you shouldn't focus on relationship with your manager etc but i see so many times a lot of advice that we give is like have a good relationship with your boss have a good deal with this but then if your work is substandard then when, when managers change and say, if you're not able to get a, a good relationship and then you're mad because they're mad at your work, but you realize you never really looked at your work like that. You spend a yeah. lot of time focusing on relationships, building with colleagues, but then you're like, why is my career not advanced? Because you never had anybody give you real critical feedback on a consistent basis. And when they did, you said, they're just mad at me. And you yeah. did it.
1: Like you took it personally. I think it's very hard not to take things personally, but I think ultimately making friends at work is a bonus. Like I didn't really start making friends. I think guilt, I obviously had like friends at essence that I still keep in contact with and not really many at KCD. But I think the first time where I felt like the people I work with were like my actual friends and I wanted to spend time with them outside of work was guilt. But guilt was also like a very unique working environment where they kind of fostered that. Um, but in magazines and traditional media, it's also very competitive. So you don't really want to be friends with the people because you're nervous that, you know, you might tell them too much and they might try to take your job or, if, you know, there's two assistants and you guys are best friends and an editor spot opens up. What does that look like for your relationship? Cause now I'm going to be reporting into you. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think girls, you befriend other people outside of your, like public, like not publication. Yeah, publication, but so competitive.
0: Things are gonna get awkward once it's like hold up there's only one position or somebody gotta get fired and then she gets fired so it's like people we're still human I think I'm like so it, it just creates a lot of un, unneeded tension like unless y'all just yeah. really vibing like that it take it, like the time of the place you got one mission and one mission on focusing on that work and get it done yep so I, I know I wanna to get to I wanna to get to kind of what you do today. So how did you transition from working with these companies into now becoming your own full-time freelancer, getting in a brand consultant? Like what was the what was the trigger and then how did this kind of transition begin?
1: Yeah, so to kind of like fast forward, because I know it's a long story, I think after Essence it made me realize that I needed to think about alternative ways to be in the industry, but maybe not be so close to the industry. So for me, I think being in a magazine, even though I ended up going back, I was like, I need to think really hard about like the next publication that I go back to and like what exactly I want to do. So once I I left Ebony, I went to another public relations firm called HL Group and I was doing like skincare and fragrance PR. So the one thing I really loved about PR is like it really makes you good at relationship building in a different capacity. So I think a lot of us think, give or take, or just want, want, want and ask, ask, ask. But we never think about how we can like reciprocate that on the other end. So the great thing about being a publicist was I had to kind of track everyone's, everyone's move. So it's like, if people left the company, if people got promoted, if people got hired someplace else, I'd always be responsible for like sending flowers and sending a thank you card on behalf of, the public relations firm or like, you know, I'd take people out to breakfast to kind of see like what stories they're working on or what's going on. But I always tried to make like meaningful connections and like remember stuff about people. So beyond just sending you products, it's like, you know, if you mention that, you know, your mom was sick, it's like, I'd send a follow up note to be like, Hey, and PS, I hope everything's going okay with your mom. Like, let me know if you need anything, you know, like in a real human to human way. Um, so with that, once I left HL group to go to Ebony, because one of my coworkers at Essence was there, um, still doing the same thing. So a lot of like market work writing when I went to guilt, it was very different because it was e-commerce and that's something I'd never done before. And once I kind of got settled in guilt, I think part of guilt was fatigue of the industry because we all sort a of really small team and you're just thinking about like the longevity and like, how long could you keep this up without getting burnt out? Um, so I kind of like, really settled into like a true nine to five role at guilt. Like guilt was very like structured, but loose, very startup culture, very young, very energetic. So the first like maybe year and a half, I was just really enjoying like getting to work at nine 30 and leaving at five 30. Like I'd never mm-hmm. done that before. Cause <laughs> uh-huh. like at magazines, it's like you get like, I remember the mornings where I get there at eight because we'd have a shoot and then I'd be there until midnight because I needed to prep for something the next day and then do it all over again. And like at that time, I was like coming from like Staten Island or the Bronx. so It's like this long commute. So it's like I felt like as soon as I woke up, it was time for me to go back to work. <laughs> yeah. um, so at guilt, once I kind of got settled into my like nine to five life, I was like, you know what? I've built all these great relationships. I don't really get to interact with people on the same level, I should freelance, right? Like I should just email some of my contacts and see if they just need people to write stories or if they have assignments or something. So I started very slowly because I didn't want to overwhelm myself. So maybe it's like, I do like two stories a month or like three stories a month. And it just kind of like snowballed. So it wasn't necessarily something that I intended on doing, but it's great to make extra money. So it was nice to just like, you know, get a little check in the mail or get a direct deposit. So then probably like the last year and a half or two years of guilt, I really like pursued it like full speed ahead. Like I was like, I will take on as many assignments as I want. And it was kind of a sacrifice because obviously I had a full-time job. So it's like, I'd be doing stuff on nights and weekends. So it's like, I was kind of missing out on certain things or maybe I can go to a party. But to me, it was kind of worth it because I always reminded myself that nothing is forever. You know, there'd been several rounds of layoffs that happened at the company. So it's like, I just want to make sure that if something went down, I have something to keep me afloat. Like I'm not starting from scratch. I'm not starting from zero. I have something else going on for me. And I also think that was a good balance for myself because I could still be creative in the way that I wanted, but I didn't have to deal with like the politics and the drama of like being at one of these publications or one of these companies, or even, you know, when you idolize something so much to be like, Oh, mm-hmm. I feel like it's so great to work there. It's like, I could still kind of keep that mystique, um, about some of the places I love and just, you know, get the bottom lines <laughs> and get
0: yeah.
1: about getting in into it.
0: Nah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, so now, okay, you felt that and then you leave and Now you are starting, not start from scratch because you've already been maintaining and, and building some clients. But I know we talked to a pre-call about your focus. And I think you talked on it briefly when you were as a, as a publicist building and maintaining relationships. And I think yeah. this is where the meeting of the podcast comes in that everybody can relate to, because whether you are in business for yourself or you're working for a company, Relationships building and maintaining is really critical. So I have two questions in, uh, for you in regards to this. One, I want to start on the, on the opposite end. So for those people that have had trouble really building functional relationships and they don't have a history of doing that, maybe they have a history of being transactional or just not really putting a lot of stake into it. How can they kind of, what, what kind of habits or strategies or things that it can, can they do to kind of get back or get on the right side of building strong relationships?
1: Yeah, I think the first question to ask yourself is why do you want this relationship? Mm. Why do you want this meeting? Why do you want to ask this person for advice? What do you want to talk to them about? Because I sometimes I think we just get so caught up in like people's titles or what they do or if, they, or if they're cool or if they're stylish. But it's like when you boil it down, it's like, how can this person really help you or how can you really help them? And like, what what is the benefit of this? Um, so I think once you whittle that down, you can kind of think about like, what are the commonalities that you have with someone? Um, when I send blind emails, I try to research the person a little bit more, like whether it's an editor or a brand or a contact. If I do do something generic, it's like very broad sweepings, but then it's like, I'll still add a little bit of a detail that makes it personal, personal. So like, you know, Hey Greg, like just saw you got back from vacation. Hope you had a really great time. Um, you know, hopefully your workload's not piling up too much, but if it is, I'd love to be considered for any assignments you might have. Like, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. Or, you know, if you want pitches for particular stories. So out of all the emails you got, like, I kind of hit that, like, I figured out a little something about you, which isn't like too stalkery, but then it's like, I'm also providing like a service to you. Like I'm not asking you for anything. Um, But if I did want to get to know you, I might be like, you know, hey Greg, like came across your website on um, like the internet. I think you're doing really great work. I'm trying to do something similar. Um, You know, if you have a few minutes to chat, let me know if you want to talk and like, I can, we can talk about like collaborating or doing something. But I think when you say things like collaborate or pick your brain, sometimes that also turns people off. Um, So I think you just need to be a little bit more particular about who you do it with as well. So if you see someone who seems to be very open to mentoring and getting to know people, um, if you see someone who's an entrepreneur who's in startup mode, like they may not have time for a business meeting with you unless it's something that's like financially gainful, but it's like maybe you could introduce them to someone you know, but I think it's just trying to find connections, ways to actually help, but truly thinking about like, why is it that I want to get to know this person? Um, And that should lead, that should cut a few people from your list. Because if you're just like, oh, I don't really know, then it's probably not a good connection. And it's like, it's probably not not something you'll be able to maintain long term anyways. Saying it wrong, but it's like, you know, build the bridges before you need them. So it's also don't just reach out to people when you need something. It's like, sometimes you can ask people if they need something or just check in. Like, it's really also nice to have a note from someone to be like, Hey, I read your article and I thought it's great. Glad to see everything's going well. Like, that's just such a nice Mm -hmm. note. See, you know, it's like, I don't want anything from you. I'm supporting you in a way. Um, And, you know, if you have time to connect with people do, I do think, there is a culture of people being like, let's get together. I think you shouldn't tell people you want to get together unless you really plan on following up and trying to see them. Because I do think that's like an awful feeling of like someone, like anytime you see someone like, Hey, yeah, hit me up. Like we should totally Oh,
0: oh man. <laughs> and
1: it just never happens. You're like, just say hi and then like, keep it moving. Like, don't, don't volunteer that we're going to do something. Um, but yeah, it takes work, but I think it's also, you know, those are the people who pull through for you. Like a lot of the business I've gotten or a lot of recommendations are all old coworkers. Like all the times that I'm like, it's bleak. And I'm like, I'm not going to make any money. Like one of my old coworkers hits me up and like, Hey, I'm connecting with my friend who's launching this or like, oh, I heard so-and-so needs writers. I'm going to recommend you or like just a direct email intro or someone out of the blue will email. and be like, yeah, I ran into Greg the other day and he was like saying you're an excellent writer and I have a project I'd like to keep you in mind for. So I think that's when it also proves to be fruitful for me to keep those connections alive. And it's like, you know, I'll send people flowers. I'll send people a card. I'll take them out for a drink. Like I always want to seem very gracious that they're still thinking about me like years later. And I try to do the same for people a lot. Like I'm always offering to introduce people. And I know people like, you can't give your contacts like that, but you know, it doesn't hurt me to give someone else a leg up. So for example, I met with a brand yesterday who's talking to different copywriters and we were talking about like PR agencies. I'm like, Oh, I'll give you a list of people I enjoy working with. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, like you, if you guys want to build a fruitful relationship, you want to have an agency that has good relationships. I'm like, but you could likely find this out on your own, but it's like, I also don't want you to launch your brand and you have a terrible agency. And it's like, you're not getting the benefits that you are because it's like, if I got hired and then you have to cut retainer and cut costs because the brand's not making any money, you know, I could have helped you out by making sure you got a good agency. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think like also sharing your contacts with people as well is helpful to you too, making those introductions because ultimately the relationship is yours. Anyone can find an email address on the internet. Like it's not hard. I don't own anyone's email. It's not hard to crack those codes. It's your relationship. So it doesn't harm you to share those when necessary with people.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. You, you gave a lot of game. But I think one one biggest thing that's took out of it is once you see something specifically online on media and you're like, wow, that's that's phenomenal. Then go ahead like right then and there, either putting it on your to-do list, but I would, I would recommend if you have time, especially if you at the crib or you scrolling or whatever, go ahead and send that email away or that text or maybe even that phone call to let them know that, yo, I'm proud. I'm proud of it. Don't just comment below. Don't just yeah. comment below. Like if you send that text, Hey, I just saw what you got going on, man. Continue doing your thing. Proud of you. Like I, I was like, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Because I mean, we probably do, go through that every day around three. Cause you know, everybody put their highlights on, on social mm-hmm. media anyway. So we, we see probably. 10 20 30 opportunities every single day to really just show people love or to reconnect briefly not get paragraphs and it like that just real briefly yeah. and if you if even if you say two a day if you maximize that times a whole month that's 60 maximize that's a whole year something's good gonna come out of it. even if like I, I, and i i wouldn't say like you should scheme that way like oh i got that. but say 600 hey i see what you're doing continue doing it through yeah. something's gonna come from that
1: absolutely Absolutely. I feel like I probably send so many emails that like never get a response, but at the same token, it's like, then I get a response and then it's worth it. So it's like the hundred emails that I sent for like new business pitches. It's like, even if three people respond, that's three contracts I didn't have before. So it's worth my time.
0: Heck yeah. And even though, and it's, it's been, there's been emails like specifically, cause I know, um, yeah, there's been emails where people have sent that I did not reply back. But I did read and I tell those people, if they, we get, we come in contact. I do appreciate you sending that email out of everything. Like it means a, those people jump up friends that I've had for years that I've, cause I've read the email, even if I didn't reply. So there's always a narrative. And I, I so I'm, I'm glad you're sharing some of those tools and tips with the audience. Because I mean, I think that can help a lot of people out in their, their business relations. Because like you said, so many of us, when we're trying to launch something new or we're trying to do this, we we then we start to build that bridge and it's like bruh if you would just sit something like a little bit beforehand and really just start to cultivate it then it's easier to prime people to do stuff you just can't come out hey i'm launching this new i'm writing a book come my book release bruh
1: it's been like three years since we (laughs) talked exactly
0: (laughs) but uh no that's that's great so but that so as as we kind of transition to um towards towards as we close uh like, what well, what advice one would you give to somebody that's trying to break into the beauty industry? Because uh, I know I get a lot of people. I've had a lot of people specifically on college campuses that are so intrigued and enthralled with with beauty and fashion and getting into that. And, you know, it's a small, small community. It's a small yeah. community and a very niche. So what would you advise that young woman or that young man out there that is looking to break into the fashion world?
1: I think people have to remember that no one is going to self promote yourself as much as you will. So it's like taking the responsibility off of like, well, Greg knows someone at this magazine. It's like you have to also take control okay, like what am I going to say? How am I going to promote myself? What are the opportunities I'm going to create for myself? So I think early on my in my career, you can sense that like I was really good at like making small opportunities into big ones. Like I didn't necessarily overstep, but I also took them very seriously. So even when I had to take that internship at a magazine or that newspaper in Minnesota, I still made sure I got a fashion piece. But I also did the work ahead of time. Um, I think you also really need to know the outlets and the publications and the editors that you want to get in contact with. I can't tell you the number of times that I interviewed a future intern or a future assistant and they knew nothing about me or they knew nothing about the publication or the company. They just knew that it was cool. And it's like, it's not enough for you to just think it's cool. Like I need you to know like the ins and outs or like a recent article or like news about the company, like something that shows that it's more than kind of a checklist or a check mark off your to-do list. Um, I think also not counting yourself out of things before people tell you, no. So I'm not saying that if you're a senior in college, you should apply for a director level role, but at the same token, like maybe you're like, I don't want to be a fashion assistant. I've had enough experience and perhaps I can go for this associate role apply because the worst thing that can happen is like, you're not qualified enough for this, but there, when we have another role that fits your experience, then you have the opportunity to be considered. Um, so I think sometimes people kind of freak themselves out, um, but you can also take a chance on yourself because you know you might have said the right thing or someone may resonate with your story or they might be from your hometown. Like There's so many other factors that come into the hiring process, um, but I really think it's becoming a great reader and writer. Um, a lot of people today, because of the internet, things just kind of get slapped on. I still think there is details matter because it's like certain people read things and there's so many typos. I can't even bear to finish this, (laughs) (laughs) but really practicing. So it's like whether you're writing in your journal or if you just have a good idea and like you just bang it out, everything doesn't have to be public facing. So it's like, if you write a really great article about like lipstick trends and no one sees it, at least you're honing your craft. So I think sometimes we want the rewards of stuff, But we don't want to do the work. And it's like you can do the work on your own. So if you see an article and you're like, I could have written that better. Like, let me research this and kind of like craft my own thing. Um, That's practice. Because it's like the more you do something, the better hopefully you get Mm -hmm. at it. Um, And coming to the table with your own ideas. So if you're like, I want to write for this outlet, just look and see like what are they, what's missing on the site? What's something that you can contribute? What's your point of view? What makes it unique? and reaching out to the person like, you know, I love what the website's doing, but I noticed that you don't have any content for women of color with natural hair. Um, here are a few ideas. Would love for you con- to consider to write these. Um, so let me know if you're interested. That's making someone's job easier, which I think that's like the main thing about relationship building. It's not always about you. It's like, how am I making this person's day easier? How am I offering a benefit? Because now, granted, if they don't need it, They'll be like, hey, I am swamped, but like someone did reach out to me and store ideas. Let me hit them up and see if they can take this last minute assignment. You know what I mean? Like you've already Mm -hmm. built Mm -hmm. that structure and that um, kind of that enthusiasm about something before you before they needed it. Um, So Mm -hmm. things like that, I think, help.
0: Man, that's that's phenomenal (laughs) advice out there for anybody. I mean, what just kept, kept coming to my mind is like what you said, building your own bridge. Like a lot of your your bridge is not just applications you fill out online. I think a lot of us misconstrue that even people that are outside of college, your bridge is not just filling out the application because everybody's filling out applications. Everybody has great applications, but going the extra step in whether it's fashion or whatever industry it is, looking at these websites, contacting these people, and always have that mindset. How can I take something off your plate, etc. I mean, wow. And I think you said something huge. I, I was like, wow, I never thought about it like that is a uh, a lot of people instead of practicing on their own now we live in a society where people are practicing on public platforms
1: exactly and
0: yeah and if you know if you're not if you're not in a space where you're talented enough then you're going to be looking like a fool in a public platform cuz you're not ready yet so you need to practice in the dark and then when you come <laughs> in the public like make it exciting now nah, it's like look at my blog post don't look at your blog post when you just like you, you're not even there yet nah cuz then people going to say oh your work is trash already so I, I love yeah. that the love the appetite so now to to your work now as a branding consultant one can you break down your niche specifically for those in the audience that may be looking for 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 um, maybe your services can you break down specifically what you do as a branding consultant because I know there's branding consultants get thrown out a lot now yeah. and um, I always try to make sure when I bring people on even when I'm just typing conversation try to see what what niche they are in the branding spectrum
1: um, okay. So branding is not new to me because it was something I was doing at guilt, but new to me in the sense of something that I'm doing on my own. Mm-hmm. So most of my day consists of creating story ideas, pitching them to outlets and working off of assignments. So, you know, let's say right now I'm preparing for September stories because we're like a few weeks out and with the internet, which is nice. It's like, you don't have to plan so, so far in advance, but you also want to get on people's like radar on their calendar. So it's like, maybe I'll look on the, like, look on different websites or like I might have had conversations with friends and I'm like, oh, that's a really great idea. So I kind of type those out on a list and then I'll tier them based on my outlets. And I think that also, I don't know if that necessarily sets me apart, but I try to make sure that whatever I'm pitching to editors or pitching to the people I work with makes sense for their outlet. So it's like, I can't talk about, you know, the best blonde shampoos, you know, like maybe if it's like kind of like how to care for your colored hair, but it's like most women of color aren't naturally blonde. So it's like, maybe that's something that belongs on like a Vogue.com because it suits their audience. So really being like mindful and intentional about like what I'm pitching to make sure that it's a good match and kind of ensure that people are accepting my stories. So then the other part is working with different brands, um, which kind of entails A lot of things like what does your bio say? What's the tone of voice that you hope to bring to, like, you know, your consumer? How are you naming the products? You know, how many blog posts or what type of editorial extension are you going to have? Um, You know, what does your welcome email trigger say? So all the things that people forget that actual people write, right? So it's like even an, <laughs> even an automated email was written by someone. Like it's only but so automated. And a lot of that stuff can be custom. So we kind of meeting with the brands um, and just talking through like, who's your consumer? Like what what are words we use? What are words we don't use? Um, and then kind of like with beauty brands, giving them like a little bit more advice about like how can they stand out in the market? What are the things they actually need? What are the things they don't need? Because the great thing as an editor, it's like, yes, you're wined and dined and, you know, people take you places. But ultimately, it comes down to how great is this product and how easy is it to understand this product? Um, We get so even now, the tough thing about working from home is that people will send things for consideration here. So it's like my living room is just covered in products. (laughs) But if people don't have like a strong brand messaging or they didn't have like, prior communication to myself I don't know what this shampoo is supposed to do so I'm not going to use it and it's going to go in the giveaway pile but it's like if their publicist was proactive and was like hey Janelle working on a um, you know working on a new brand launch would really love for you to try this shampoo Um, I noticed that your hair color is currently this Um, let me know if you want to try something or if we can get you in first service that's more intriguing to me than like just receiving a mystery box Um, so reminding Mm. brands that it's such a cluttered market and they have to stand out. And what, what is it that's going to make you stand out? Um, also continuing the conversation. So a lot of people will launch with like 40 products and forget that your initial press is essentially what's going to carry your brand through. So if you come out with like this big splashy launch and you're talking about your 40 products, unless you now have something new, there's nothing else to say if everyone's covered it. So it's like, can your, does your founder have a cool story? You know, do you have a science background? So it's not like now you can be considered for as an expert for certain articles. Um, you know, is there a special ingredient that you use? So it's like also making sure that they're thinking about their products 360. And they're also thinking about who are our spokespeople within this company that can also serve as experts to kind of carry on our press. Um, so kind of advising them about that, like making sure that they have a good crafted story. It just kind of varies, but it's like sometimes it'll be really small. So like I've worked with ad agencies where it's like they're just trying to figure out like how can we pitch new business? Like what are the things we need to say or what's like a creative angle and editorial angle. Um it really depends.
0: Yeah, nah, that's that was very robust. And I know you don't try to think about the future that much, but in this space there's specifically like in the future for, for, for the work that you do. Do you think that you may want to form an agency one day or right now you're just taking it day by day and seeing what kind of how it kind of goes?
1: So, yeah, that's funny that you said that. I do. I toy with the idea of creating an agency, but I think it's more so on the sense of how can I gather like creatives of color and kind of vet off projects? So it's like if a beauty brand was like we're launching this brand, we want to make sure that we speak to um, minorities. How can we do that? Then I'd be like, okay, I have a writer for you. I have a photographer for you. I have like, you know, uh, a graphic designer for you. I'm just, it's just kind of figuring out like what, how does that work? What does it look like? How does everyone get paid? Like all that jazz. But it's like, I'd love to do something where it's like, I can use my, my connections and kind of like vet off projects because I think sometimes writing while it's amazing and I love it it can be overwhelming and it's like you want to use another part of your brain so it's like sometimes it's more like strategy and like new business pitching and meeting with people because that's never a problem for me but sometimes it's like getting the actual work done as a solo person it's like it would be really nice if I had like a collective of people to kind of brainstorm throw things out to or just even like reassign them to
0: Mm, that's it. That's exciting. I think that's that's definitely a need. I would just—it's crazy. I was just about to say like collective, and I can imagine like an old desk of, um, black beauty black beauty people that are in different niches or something of that nature. So, uh, that's some that's some cool cool stuff. I know as we're we're kind of getting down to the to the end. I know we still got a culture change round and something like that in our future. But I did want to ask, and I asked I try to ask every person that that's on our show, um, uh, to highlight. Within their career thus far, um, their, in, in any order they want, their best moment and then the moment that they learn the most. So I, I don't want to say their failure or anything like that, but um, sort of highlighting the learn the moment and then the moment where you're like, yo, this is, this is why I do it. I'm excited. Boom.
1: I think the highlight would definitely be figuring out that I'm okay on my own. I think for a long time, I was very, not wrapped up per se, but I was very aware of like, what title am I affiliated with or you know am I a director am I a senior editor what my publication is because it gives you a sense of clout but I think also reminding myself that ultimately like my name is my name and that's the only title that I need to be concerned about so feeling confident to be like okay like I've done it not like I've done enough like there's definitely times where I'm like you know there's so many other things I can do but you've reached a point where it's like you can walk out on your own and maintain your relationships and like earn money and be okay to keep yourself afloat. So I think that was like, cause it was a very long conversation with my friends and like life coaches and career coaches and like my family and everyone's like, if you don't just take a chance on yourself and like, remember that it's like, if it doesn't work out, you can technically go back to the workforce <laughs> yeah. at the end of the world. Um, I think a le- learning point for me would be negotiating and realizing that, like again, you're the only person who can make sure that you're okay. And there'd been situations like early on where it's like I definitely lowballed myself, and I definitely got myself into bad contracts or bad situations. Or I didn't ask for what I wanted, and it's like then once you start doing the math, you're like, how did I end up making like eight dollars and fifty cents an hour? Like, what is going on? You know what I mean? Like it's like once oh, it's like yeah. it sounds like a lot. Like you get this crazy contract, but then it's like you start doing all the work, and you're like, wait a second, if I'm working like 60 hours on this <laughs> I'm paying myself so low it's not even worth it um so i think definitely having those moments where i'm like i gotta stand up for myself or it's just like i got myself into like a bad deal um would be like learning moments and also being a little i think the way to resolve that is being more open with money and with your immediate circle so i know it's tough to talk about finances and people don't love it but i find myself with like my other freelance friends We're doing a better job of like, hey girl, like someone asked me to do this. Is this rate crazy? And they're like, don't do it. Or people are like, oh girl, take it. Like, you know, just something where it's like at least you're getting feedback because ultimately, if someone's gonna do something for $18 an hour and your rate's $75 an hour, they're gonna go with the person for $18 an hour. Like you're not gonna get the contracts you want. So it's like I need the person who's at $18 an hour if we're at the same level to raise their rates. So people just know, like, this is what yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like, this is how much it costs if you want this. Um, and also being able to say no to people. Like, there's been a few situations where it's like I was bummed, but it's like, I'm like, if you want this, like, this is my rate. And I can't lower that for you um, because it behooves me. And it's like the next person, I want them to also have a high rate. So you understand that if you're getting someone with a certain amount of experience, this is what it costs. Like, my rate is my rate. I can't. Make it or break it for you um, because you want to be cheap because essentially you'll get cheap work. So I think people definitely like sharing more information and being a lot more open, um, advising their friends, advising their like immediate circle about what's going on. I think that's helpful, too.
0: Man, that's, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. crazy helpful because, I mean, I think about it all the time before I hung out with other speakers, because that's what I do like full time. I speak. I didn't really know how much I should be charging. I saw stuff online on Google. And then I was telling some of my other friends, I was like, oh yeah, this got 500 minutes. It's like 500? What you did? A, you did an hour and a half for $500? Like, what are you doing, Greg? I was like, oh shoot, sure. I thought I hit a leg. It was like, no dude, like we doing, we got an hour job. It's 3650. And then we add X, Y, and Z. And we were on like at the time at the same level, mm-hmm. but, I never, I never, I didn't think about it. So now anytime that I have something, I'm, I try to be ultra transparent about, okay, how things getting broken down, et cetera. Because if not, you could be thinking that you're, you're killing it or you're doing something and you're grinding. I remember there was one, there was times where I was doing, I was doing a whole school. I'm talking about hitting multiple classrooms, doing a big thing and I was getting paid basically pennies. And I mean, of course I was cutting my teeth getting started, but still, I mean, I, I, I just think that having those people, that are at your level even above your level and I think just really checking in with that humility piece that people that are maybe above your level that may even be younger than you because in the speaking industry there might be somebody that's 25, 26 that is making more than me and is above my level but still having that comfortability in yourself to really still ask those questions and be humble and take their advice.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So, uh, my last question on the future round before we transition to the culture change round is uh, when it's all said and done like how do you how do you want to be remembered?
1: Oh my gosh, that's hard. I went to a David Bowie exhibit in Brooklyn and started crying because I think people forgot how much work he's done and just the body of work. So like between the costumes and the songs and the collaboration, and it just really got me thinking about like, what is it that people are gonna remember me for? You know, it's like, what body of work am I creating? So I think now- I really want to be mindful about what I'm putting out there. Um, I think there's a lot of noise and there's truly too much content, which kind of sounds crazy coming from a writer, but it's like, there's just so many things to be aware of. So it's like some days it's like, we care about like what black China's hair color is. But then like the other day we care about like women's fertility rights. There's so much information. (laughs) So it's making sure that you're being, Very intentional and thoughtful about how you're presenting things um, because it's just out there now, whether it's true, false, real, fake, it's hard to decipher. You know, anyone can write something and put it up on the internet. Like, we think it's true. Um, But trying to go like a little bit deeper. So it's like if I'm writing an article about, I just did something about the vitamin D levels in African Americans. So the issue there is that a lot of African Americans are diagnosed with low levels of vitamin D. But according to doctors, they're like, well, the test is faulty because it's like the way that people of color synthesize the sun is very different than Caucasian. So it's like technically we need less. So it's like now people are taking supplements and there's also health issues and complications that can come from having too much vitamin D. But it's like giving both sides of the story. So some doctors like absolutely like people of color do need vitamin D. But at the other side, I also want to present that You know, maybe there is something to this. So then you as the reader can leave with a choice and a decision about how you want to react. And also you can have a conversation with your doctor now. like, Okay, well, I read something that this test isn't exactly accurate. So tell me other methods that I can maybe fix this without taking a supplement and like putting myself at risk. So kind of thinking about stories like that, like, is this useful? Is it helpful beyond entertainment wise? But it's like, how can it kind of push us forward and think in a new way? So those are kind of the pieces that I'm trying to work on more, spend more time in rather than like the frivolous, like, you know, six new lipsticks to change your look. Like that's important because it's like, that might help you if you're having a bad day, but ultimately I want something that is a little bit more like longstanding or impactful and making you think about yourself and the world and, you know, just less frivolous.
0: Wow. Right. When you said talking about vitamin D, I was like, I'm, I, it made me think oh vitamin d levels like what in the word? that's something that um i would look into and this kind of gravitate towards because that's something especially i wouldn't expect from um people that's in the like the fashion industry to kind of and if there's a way you can kind of mix that i mean i think what i have seen online and what i've seen some do tactfully is people that are are in say for instance i, I see a lot of sports riders that do have interesting takes on political issues and everything else. And it always is interesting to kick, especially if I follow your content for what, like for the way that you write and then seeing you write about something else specifically because, you know, some of your biggest experiences from when you, when you started was choreographed from business people, like look at interviewing business people doing, doing those type of stories. So you didn't start necessarily right in fashion. Like you have a, a, you take your perspective on just analyzing, different perspectives in general. So not just putting yourself in, I guess, in that one niche, right?
1: Yeah. And also just not underestimating your audience. Like sometimes they want that information. They're just not being presented with it. So it's like if every day it's like we're writing about like entertainment news or something celebrity based, if you give them something real, like they may react to that. So it's also meeting people where they are. Like, you know, it can be a funny take. It doesn't have to be serious, but you still want to present them with information. So it's like, at least you saw it. So whether you put it into practice or not, at least you have a little bit more information or you are thinking about things in a different way.
0: Mm. Boom. So as we transition, this is our last round, our final round, culture change round. I got five rapid fire questions. Hopefully I get rapid fire answers. You ready to go? Yeah. What is the best piece of advice that you have never received?
1: Um... I can say that when I have questions about things, I'm not hesitant to ask. So I'm not one of those people who's like, let me just figure this out by myself. Like, I really am not a do it yourself type of person, like professionally. Yes. But it's like when it comes down to like the nitty gritty, I'm never trying to be like, "Mm, let me cut corners and just like do this on my own. So I can say that I've gotten really great advice from like friends, colleagues. There's people I can always call, always text if I'm like concerned, confused overwhelmed people talk me out of situations all the time so i feel like i've received really good advice and hopefully i haven't missed out on anything (laughs) (laughs)
0: If, if you could add one habit and take away one habit what would they be
1: if i could add one habit it would be focus i can get very i can get very like deep into something well actually let me take that back I always say that I'm very focused, but I'm not super disciplined. So that sounds weird. I'm focused because it's like, if I want to do something, I will like focus in on it. Discipline means like, how long will I stick with this? So whether it's like, I'm going to work out every single day, it's like, I'll be focused on that goal, but I may not like actually put it into practice. And if there's something I could take away, it would be spending. I feel like (laughs) I, I have a financial advisor who's very great and he like keeps me in track, but I just think like, I live a very not even expensive lifestyle because I have a contingency budget, but I still haven't connected with the fact of like what I earn is what I have to live on. So it's like I can't keep spending as if it's never not going to stop. It's not going to stop because I'm going to keep hustling. So it doesn't. But in the sense of like sometimes I need to chill and just like okay, like you can't be doing all this. Like you just have to sit down for a second. Mm,
0: That's real. (laughs) What would you say is your favorite book or movie and why?
1: Um, favorite book. I just read a book by one of my friends, friends from college, WyA Chimora called She Would Be King. And that book brings me to tears. It's such a beautiful story. It's basically, not to give too much away, but what it would be like if we were not slaves for as long as we were and if we had the ability to save one another. And it's just like very in the theme of like Wakanda and like just thinking about like what would Africa have been like or what could we have been. It's just such a great story. It's like three main characters and just like how they interact and, you know, what what it's like when they move to Liberia. It's just a really great story that I need everyone to purchase when it comes out in like September, October
0: definitely i definitely uh have to do some research if you could just send me the link to yeah. kind of the the pre because i always put that in my my website link and it sounds like a very needed and uh deep book and i'm always into like those deep those deep reads
1: mm-hmm. um what would you say then, you, go ahead oh then you asked for a movie
0: no no no. no. i was like because sometimes people I, I some people just do audio books and some people are like well i don't have a book well, i'm like we well, yeah. do a movie so i just always try to give people that option as well
1: yeah. No, She Would Be King by Why Two More. Definitely a great book.
0: Gotcha. What is your
1: biggest fear? Um sometimes running out of money and that seems crazy. But I No, think, that's not that doesn't
0: seem crazy. That's real. I don't yeah. I mean. like <laughs>
1: you. in the sense of like I think I don't necessarily money for like financial gain, but I think money is a resource and running out of money in the sense of like making sure that it's like my kids, my grandkids, like they Have a nest egg to be able to do what they want. Um, And just like many options and really thinking about like wealth for the future and, you know, what does that look like for them? Because I think the great thing about my parents are always very, very supportive of me. And they're also very cognizant of like what we're leaving behind or the choices that they made or the sacrifices they made. So for me, it's like making sure that it's like, I'm not, you know, living this, Lavish life for myself, but thinking about how can my kids, my grandkids, my nieces, my nephews, like all that jazz, like also enjoy some of the things that I have.
0: I always, at the end of every podcast, ask my guests this one question. This is outside of the culture change route. I appreciate you for those those answers. Um, everybody that comes on my podcast, I, I call a culture change agent because they're doing something to change the culture in their own right. So I said, it's only right that we end our show with this. If you could change one thing about society. Uh, most specifically our african-american culture uh what would you, what would it be and why i
1: think getting rid of the competitiveness we feel with each other like really looking at ourselves ourselves as a community as a resource and also thinking about ways to collaborate with each other so i think whether that means something as simple as like let's say i can't afford a brownstone it's important in Brooklyn right now because it's like, there's so much gentrification happening. So it's like if five friends could get in and just like not really think about like how do the logistics work and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, just like okay, we're going to come together. We're going to get this. This is something we're investing for the future. How can we do this together? Um, also bringing people in. So it's like bringing, not being so happy or excited to be like the only one. Like I don't, even when people ask me for like writing advice, I always readily give it because it's like, the, like the internet is so vast it doesn't matter if there's 12 other beauty writers because it's like there's not that many black beauty writers anyway so it's like it also helps me because then it's like eventually I'll get to see the content that I want to read and I want to see and then other girls of color will be inspired so really being less competitive with one another and being like you know there's really room for all of us as corny as that sounds it's like there's no short like You can do anything you want. And if you just focus on being the best that you can be, like you'll stand out. You're an individual person. You have a unique point of view. So you don't really need to worry about what everyone else is doing. Um, But you also shouldn't prevent anyone else from pursuing their dreams or pursuing the career that you currently have.
0: Couldn't, Couldn't have said it better myself. That is phenomenal. So, I mean, I just want to say thank you as we close for providing such a phenomenal stories, phenomenal gems and jewels. I learned a lot myself from this. I know the audience will as well. So I want to say from the bottom of my heart and my nobody trouble is in nation heart. Uh, thank you for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And before we go, how can we keep in touch with you and find out more information about what you got going on, your services and just stay up to date on the movement.
1: Um, so you can keep up with me on Instagram. I'm at J Margaret beauty. Um, I also have a website if you ever want to read my clips or my stories and that is JanelleMHickman.com and all my contact information is on there as well.
0: Mm, I mm-hmm. love that. So Minority trouble Nation, all that information will be in the show notes um, as far as links to books. All the stuff that we talked about on this podcast will be in the show notes. So Minority Troubles Nation. Every single podcast asks you to do two things. One, make sure you leave a review and share the podcast. Two, make sure you're changing the freaking culture. Good night.